Welcome to a very Pac-12 heavy edition of the Boyd Meets World podcast. As always, I'm joined by Stanton to break down the Apple Cup and basically compare Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott to Emperor Palpatine. After Stanton, I'm going to have my favorite beeves, Jordan Caleb, on to talk about the beginning of the Jonathan Smith era in Corvallis and the Chip Kelly rebirth down in Los Angeles, plus a little bit more. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Joining me fresh off of a 41-14 to 14 drubbing in the Apple Cup and a plethora uh, of highlights made in our Turkey Bowl on Thanksgiving is, is Childish Stantino, a.k.a. Michael Stanton. Stanton, how are we tonight? We're doing well. Uh, a bit hurried to get home for this one, um, but unlike the Cougars, I was able to persevere at work and uh, make it, and uh, I'm excited to get this one going. Hey, those kids don't get paid, man. Don't, don't put that on them. Uh, yeah. So give us a quick rundown of how, how you made it to your, your homestead tonight. Um, well, the reason for my, uh, my tardiness was some technical difficulties at work. But um, my guy, uh, Mussy, my Lyft driver, who was bumping uh, a little 50 cent when I got in, uh, was able to uh, uh, swing me across town in just a little under 10 minutes. And uh, uh, we're, we're still a little late, but... Uh, in the grand scheme of things, I'm pretty impressed by his performance. So uh, he definitely outplayed uh, Luke Falk on that. <laughs> on this one did, did he have, you said he was rocking into club. Did he have into club at the, the correct uh, decibel level that it's supposed to be played at? It, it, there is a split, like just, just loud. Yeah, exa- exactly. It cannot be played uh, quietly. It, it was actually pretty loud halfway through. He, uh, he turned it down. I think he realized that it was uh, a little too wild in there, but I was wanting him to turn it up, to be honest. He forgot you were in the back of the car. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, we, we prepared similarly. You were in the backseat of an Uber, and I was making myself uh, a nice PB&J with, to go along with some two-buck Chuck. So we are... Uh, absolutely thriving heading into this right now. Um, we saw each other briefly right before the Apple Cup and obviously a little bit before uh, during the week, but your Apple Cup tailgate, how did it end up going down? Uh, really good. Uh, we had some issues with the with our newly acquired satellite dish uh, for our tailgate in previous weeks, but uh, I was able to switch that one out, so we were able to watch the Iron Bowl, so I was pretty... Uh, proud of that and uh we had a good showing so uh, uh all in all can't be uh or can't complain nice yeah i was i was down in in rockwall land uh down at the yeah. the uh the lake union tailgate down there and then also stopped by my my parents tailgate which was you know i don't know 55 notches more calm than than the place i was just at but uh my my parents hooked it up they, they were rocking with the pancakes as the main entree during the the tailgate wow. I'm a huge fan of that wow. would highly recommend for that afternoon and afternoon tailgate no yeah exactly a little little uh, little breakfast for dinner but yeah it was it was a good one um from start to finish there uh on on saturday first of all the fact that it was a saturday was nice but then also uh the results as we said here huskies just Laid the laid the wood down for for the Cougs for the the sixth straight year in a row. Um, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk a little bit of other goings on in the conference as well. Um, but first, we'll start with our, our favorite favorite segment to start this four downs. Stanton, first down is always yours. You earned it. What you got for us? Uh, in typical fashion, I'm just going to go over uh, the defense, which I've loved to do this season, but uh, definitely worthy of first down in this case. Um, we, we were able to get pressure on Luke Falk throughout pretty much the entirety of the game. 
many of time, many of which were, were on only three linemen, uh, uh, rushing only three linemen. So uh, with that said, doing the math, that's eight, eight uh, defenders back into coverage, which made it life difficult for Luke Falk. Uh, first, during the first three quarters, he only passed for 176 yards on 18 for 29 uh, passing versus his fourth quarter where he threw for 193 yards. So just in the fourth quarter alone, he eclipsed what he was able to produce in quarters one through three. Um, so by that point, the game was over. It didn't matter. Um, yeah, I thought Falk... the first three quarters, he threw three picks, so uh, <laughs> definitely helped. Yeah, I thought Falk had, had like a classic Blake Bortles game, like a couple years ago, Blake Bortles, where it ends up being some nice-looking stats for um, some fantasy owner somewhere. But if you actually watch the game, he's just getting getting shelled and making horrible decisions throughout the game. And, and part of that was, was due to the Husky pressure. I mean, when, when you can do what they do with three guys and, you know, obviously one of them being Vita Vey helps a whole, a whole lot, but, uh, you know, just, just being able to, to send this relentless pass rush that we've talked about throughout the season, coming at you with three guys, it opens up, you know, so many other things. And I thought, you know, the defensive backs looked the best that they have all season on Saturday against Wazoo. Uh, but I think it worked in compliment. I think the, the defensive backs helped out the D-line, and then the D-line uh, most certainly helped out the DBs. 100%. And if, I don't know if you've, I think I think I sent it to you, but there's a clip on uh, on Twitter from the broadcast, and it's Vita Vea basically bull rushing through two interior offensive linemen for WC, one of which is all-American Cody O'Connell, the continent, and uh, he just manhandled them to the point where he's able to uh, get a hurry on Luke Falk and force an incompletion. So that guy's just an absolute freak. Yeah. I, he could go top five in the draft this coming this coming draft. Yeah, I, th- so. I think Vita Vey is one of those guys who, as a defensive tackle, you expect them to, to make plays every single play, and, and that's just not the reality. Their, their, their job is to occupy blockers, so it doesn't always show up uh, in the way it did on Saturday. I think he's one of those guys who's going to benefit from not having a bunch of game tape on him every single week where you're trying to track his progress, and you just look at the, the physical attributes of a guy like that, and it's just hard to not, to not start your defense um, with just a, a 350-pound freak who can run a 4-8 and do the things he can. Dropped an interception, though. I was a little disappointed for Vita. Yeah, yeah, yeah very true. But, but as you mentioned, I mean, taking up space, taking up a second blocker, that just opens up people on the edge to get to the quarterback. And we were able to do that with five sacks, sacks and uh, seven tackles for loss. So yeah. uh, definitely we're in the backfield uh, for a lot of Saturday night. Yeah, him and Greg Gaines are just – we are – truly blessed to have both of those guys and have had them you know for for as long as we have uh we'll see uh, Vita Vea is good as gone we can see if we can hang on to Greg Gaines we'll probably do a, a husky draft segment at some point in a couple couple weeks here but just wanted to get to one thing you mentioned there is is Cody O'Connell's real nickname the continent it is the continent that's yes. that sounds like some I think, some I think it was- Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that sounds like some no. some deep deep cougar message board nicknaming right there. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I'll give him I'll give him uh, credit on that one. That one's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean there, there's some there's some cougar fan in, in Arlington who's just thought about that for for weeks and has unearthed himself to to bring that upon the world. <laughs> <laughs> 
Co- covered in Cheeto dust. He 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 <laughs> brought that to the world. No, it's popcorn in a in a empty CenturyLink field. <laughs> oh God, uh, you are you are way too right on that one. Um, th- yeah, for, first down. I think we've had this as a down multiple times this year. But the three man pass rush is just it's a it's a great look for any team being able to pull off what they can. Um, so you know it's it's, a, it's just a, a credit to Pete Kwiatkowski's defense to be able to do that, and obviously the personnel uh, that we just talked about. Uh, we're gonna move on to second down, which would be mine. I'm gonna talk uh, about just a guy who it's getting sad because you're starting to realize that this, you know, Miles Gaskin is too good to stick around. He's gonna go to the to the NFL. I don't blame him whatsoever. And it's time to appreciate what Miles Gaskin has done. He's just been an absolute steady. He's on the precipice of three straight 1,300 yard seasons, um, coming straight out of the get- gate doing that as a freshman. Uh, you know, just I'll go on about Gaskin here. He's 149 yards away from the all-time rushing record at UW. Uh, you know, but he's only received more than 20 carries four times this season, and out of 39 career games, he's only touched the ball 20 more, 20 or more times, seven times. So it's just he's doing it. He's extremely efficient. Um, he's he's just. He's a marvel to watch. I, I, I have I, I struggle to find comparisons for him because of the way he runs. He's so small and diminutive, uh, yet is able to to easily get through the, the first wave and, and get into the second level. And then from there, it's just showtime. He can like make plays uh, in a bunch of different ways. And you talked about comparisons. Uh, I think I think you also I also sent this to you, but there was someone on Twitter that was. Uh, comparing Gaskin to Saquon Barkley, who, as we know, has been an Heisman frontrunner at points of the season for Penn State, has tailed off in recent weeks, but still one of the best backs in the country uh, nonetheless. And when you compare his uh, Gaskin stats to Barkley's stats, they're basically identical. Um, he actually averages more yards per carry than, than Barkley, 6.2 to 5.7, on roughly the same amount of attempts, 208 to 199. But uh, Gaskin has roughly 150 more rushing yards and three more rushing touchdowns. Now, Barkley <laughs> has him a little bit on uh, on the receiving side of things, uh, but still they average the same amount of yards per reception at 12.7. Yeah. Um, so, so it's Gaskin's in the upper echelons of running upper echelon of running backs in college football this season. That's no doubt. Yeah, but obviously no no Heisman hype for for Gaskin, and, and obviously I think it's kind of tailed off for Barkley as well. Um, but not even a Doak Walker not. I mean, there's some great running backs out there, Rashad Penny, Bryce Love, uh, et cetera, et cetera. However, it's just it's hard to imagine that you know Gaskin's going to go through the have the career he has had uh, and not really get any accolades other than you know some some conf- all conference nods and things like that. Um, I had a, an interesting experience with another UW running back this weekend. Uh, right before the game, me and some buddies went to uh, good old Beth's Cafe, where you can uh, all you have to do to get, get a free coffee is just kill yourself with a uh, twelve egg omelet. So if you're ever interested in doing that, uh, head over to to Green Lake to get that done. Um, however, right outside Best Cafe, as we're leaving in a, just a, a stoop outside of after we've had our omelets, uh, Chris Polk shows up and, and he's just standing there. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that's Chris Polk. Uh, and it got me thinking. We talked to Chris a little bit. Um, you know, he, he's talked briefly about his 284 yard dominating game against against the Cougars in 2010. Uh, Miles Gaskin or Chris Polk? I, I feel like, you know, the Bishop Sankey stuff was great, but I feel like that was more of a product of a system. Gaskin and Polk are some truly great running backs. Who you got when you got to pick one of those guys? They're kind of hard to compare because they have two very 
different running styles, whereas Hulk was a downhill, I'm going to truck you every single time type runner. Gaskin is, I'm going to break your ankles and run past you type of runner. Yeah. Um, I There's there's obviously parts of both games that I like. Um, I, I do kind of prefer the Chris Polk, uh, I'm going to truck you every single time uh, approach, but you can't... Uh, you can't look past Miles Gaskin and his ability to make people miss, and I think his uh, best trait, his patience, which is oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, something to be seen. Yeah, he, I, his patience has been on display since he was a freshman, and just he gets the ball, and it's kind of this, not quite the Le'Veon Bell style, but he, he just is so. I, I don't know if the word is like eloquent, just coming calculated. through. Yeah, calculated, eloquent, just just finding the, that hole, waiting for it, um, and just trusting his offensive line to create something for him. And he has that explosiveness to get through those those little creases, not really holes, uh, more like creases in the offensive line. So he uh, he's he's special to watch. But you're you're dead on. They're they're different backs in terms of like program impact. Uh, Miles Gaskin came to UW when UW was at a much different point than when Chris Polk got to got to UW. It was, Polk's first season was the 0-12 year. Um, it was in the dark days of the, the Tyron Willingham era. And and Chris Polk, you know, kind of did his part to bring UW back on the map. He was the first guy to really start throwing the dubs up and and uh, was our first non-Jake Locker offensive star. Um, obviously, several have come through the program at that point. So I think, you know, Gaskin has done a great job at, at really maintaining this program and, and and being a great back in UW history. But you can't you can't forget what Polk did from like a, a program-changing point of view. And wasn't Polk's first game uh, that game at Oregon to begin the season, which was super odd in its own right? Yeah, when he was listed as a slot back. Yeah, yeah, and, he, and yeah. First of all, you're starting the first game of the season at Oregon, and second of all, you're starting a freshman at slot back. Yeah, that was uh, that that was um, that was just all kinds of weird. But yeah, I mean, Tyron Willingham. That's all you need to know. Polk is is stapled his his uh, his career with you know he's got God's play the touchdown at Cal to help put UW into a bowl game for the first time in a long time in 2009. Uh, sorry, 2010. But um, yeah, I mean, there's just both guys are are, are great. But I got to give it to CP for for really helping put UW back on the map. Um, of, you know, <laughs> just seven short years ago. But uh, that's enough about Gaskin. He's, he's the man. He's gonna hopefully break over 150 yards in UW's bowl game, which we'll talk about later, um, so that he can be the all-time leading rusher at UW, something he has deservedly received. Um, I'll move on to third down because you've 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 cleared the lane for fourth down. You want, you want that to yourself to just really, really put a nice bow on the apple cup. Um, I want to talk about just kind of the, not really in a statistical sense, but just kind of the prevailing sense of what the hell was that wazoo? Like that, that performance, um, was just incredibly lackluster, which has been the case for, uh, several of these last apple cups in a row where it just kind of seems like wazoo stayed on the bus like there there was this um you know for the last two years the pac-12 north has been on the line for this game and you know you wouldn't have been able to tell me that after the game based off of the the uh the effort level and the output from these games um you know being there on the side or in the stadium on saturday you just there was no excitement wazoo had a good play nobody's nobody's excited on the sidelines wazoo has a bad play everyone's kind of throwing their hands up. I remember after the, the Jake Browning um, quarterback sneak touchdown, there were 
several Wazoo defenders on the field throwing their hands up in the air after after that play. Uh, it it just it felt strange, and uh, Luke Fol- Luke Falk's performance in these games has, has certainly attributed to that. Um, in three career Apple Cups, the dude has eight picks and has been sacked ten times. Uh, it's it's it was just kind of a it was like everyone in the building every, who was wearing red and crimson or crimson and gray or whatever they want to go after. Uh, everyone knew what was about to happen, and they just kind of I don't know played into that scenario of we're going to get our butt spanked. It was weird too, be, as you say that, because all week it seemed like they were pretty confident. I know the majority <laughs> of our tailgate, which are pretty much all dogs, uh, thought, you know, this is going to be a game and I think there's actually a chance we could lose this. And my dad was even uh, put on record saying, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we lose by 14 points to the Cougs, which... I wasn't about to go to that stretch yet. But, that sounds like uh, a guy who did not have a fun game at the Utah game. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's if you knew my dad, it's the typical uh, response from him. But yeah. uh, that's for another podcast. But yeah, it was just really weird. I mean, there was obviously one of the most hyped up Apple Cups in recent memory. Um, a lot, obviously, a lot on the line with the Cougars if they were to win, going to the Pac-12 title game uh, with the potential of winning the conference and going to a New Year's Six Bowl. So a lot to play for for there. And they came out and they went punt, punt, interception, fumble, punt, punt, interception to start the first half. That was their first half run of uh, possessions, which is just shocking. And I was just dumbfounded by it. And by the middle of the third quarter, I was just speechless sitting there with my dad looking at him like, I can't believe I've seen this because – they, they start a second half by going punt, interception, punt as well. It's just unbelievable. I couldn't, yeah. couldn't uh, yeah. what was going on there. UW and, and Peterson and, and Kwiatkowski just seem to have, have this whole air raid thing figured out. And part of it, um, you know, we had Sam Schilling on last week to talk about the air raid and how it works. And, and it's it's fundamentally very simple. And that that's that's the problem is it's is it's, it's this, this – system based on exploiting mismatches however when you continue to do the same thing over and over you can kind of you can kind of plan for that so give you an example Ben Burkirvan, um before the interception that he that he put, came down with uh, on the drive prior he was he was in the perfect place for an interception just mistimed his jump right the same play happens in the next next drive with a with a deep slant over the middle, and this time Kervin is in the exact spot that he's supposed to be because he, he just knows what's about to happen. They, the Cougars have only five or six play calls. Every single formation looks the same. Um, they either go two and two on on the two sides or three and one, and that kind of dictates what the plays are going to be. And when you can get a pass rush home and and you can kind of break their will, you're you're basically running against the same two or three plays every single time, and and. You know, for a defense as talented as UW is, that's that's too easy. It isn't that the kind of the definition of, definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again with who? who with like, who's their coach again? No result. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Yeah, I mean, Mike Leach has has a system, and it's it's designed to beat just um, bad college football teams. I think, and and at a certain point, you have to go a little bit outside of that system um, if you ever want to be able to consistently beat teams like that um, that, that have defenses that can prepare for, for that system. So it was it was strange. And um, I, this, this like I said, it's, it's four straight 
at least Apple Cups in a row that are just duds because of, of seemingly a lack of, of ingenuity or preparation on the on the Wazoo side. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, moving on to fourth down, <coughs> what do you got for us? Uh, I was just going to hammer this one home, basically following up third down by giving just a recap of where we stand in the Apple Cup statistically in general. So that was the 110th meeting, as uh, some of you may know. And UW owns a, a demanding set or commanding 72, 32, and six record. Uh, currently on a five-game win streak, where we're averaging 37.8 points to 14.2. Um, and Chris Peterson now moves to four and zero in the Apple Cup versus Leach's one and five. So I th- there's a couple stats that I wasn't aware of before this past week that I thought were pretty insane. The first one being WSU has not won more than two straight Apple Cups. We've been playing this since the turn of the century. Well, the last century, 1900. And they've only won it. Their their longest winning streak is two games. That's absurd to me, whereas UW has won eight in a row twice. And then the second absurd stat that I saw is WSU hasn't scored a first quarter touchdown since the 2007 Apple Cup which was a 41-yard pass from Alex Brink to Devin Frischkinet, which I don't even remember that. Who could forget? So, so uh, yeah, just uh, some absurd stats there. And just goes to show you the complete dominance that the Huskies have had over the Cougars, not only over the past five years or in the Peterson era, but over 110, 110 meetings. Yeah, and I mean, it. it's... It, 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 like I said, if, if the current coaching scenario stays in place and... You know, Peterson has is UW's coach for a while, and 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 Leach is over there in Pullman. I I just don't see anything changing. It's there's there's a certain um, trajectory of these programs, and and while Wazoo is is you know positioning themselves to be an eight nine ten win team um, throughout Leach's tenure, there's there's a certain ceiling that I believe is just a little bit lower than we have uh, over in Montlake, and and uh, you know it's just. It's what you get, and and Mike Leach, I think, is ultimately good for that team. They'll they'll upset upset some teams as they they did this year, um, but you, you kind of got to live with with those those types of performances. Uh, speaking of of some some conference related ceilings, and and you have um, you know g- coaches who who can do more than than your average coach. We have the return of, of Chip Kelly to the conference. Uh, I want to talk about this a little bit. Uh, Chip Kelly signing on to be the coach at UCLA. Obviously was the coach at Oregon for a long time uh, before coaching the Eagles in a brief stint and then flaming out with the San Francisco 49ers. Took a year off. Now he's back. Uh, do you think this is something to be immediately scared of down down in UCLA or is, is this kind of a – it might take a while for him to, to rethink or refigure them, some things out? It's tough to call. It's it's definitely a double-edged sword for me because on one one point I despise Chip Kelly because, you know, just from the past and his smugness and just everything about him I just did not like when he was at Oregon for obvious reasons. But at the same time, I understand that from a general perspective, he's an exciting coach that will bring um, some attention to the Pac-12, um, will potentially... Uh, you know, kind of lift up a underperforming UCLA Bruins team. And I think it's gone to show in the past two seasons that the conference has in some parts hurt teams like, 
you know, Washington, who's been at the top of the conference, or USC, so on and so forth, when it comes from the national perspective and strength of schedule, um, and just overall conference prestige. So, on one hand, I I am not a fan. Like I don't, you know, I don't like the guy. Whatever. Um, and yeah, he poses a probably a bigger threat now than Jim Moore did at UCLA. But on the other hand, I'm kind of excited because you know, a it's an exciting brand of football, and b it uh, will hopefully uh, begin to maybe prop up UCLA in in a more uh, general sense, Pac-12 in general, which has lacked, as I said, over the past few years. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 good. It brings it brings eyes to the conference uh, right off the bat. I mean, not that not that Mora had really flamed that program out. They're still going to make a bowl game this year, um, but there was just a certain, like we just said, a certain plateau, a certain ceiling with those teams. Chip Kelly's a guy who you know he took a team from Eugene, Oregon, all the way to the national title game and was a couple plays away from winning that game. Um, so just imagine what he can do with with the UCLA uh, talent pool that he has now as now has access to um, and just being able to put that you know that powder blue brand on is 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 huge for him uh, we'll see I mean that 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 Oregon college football college program I guess is is unique it's not like coaching in Oregon is is you know the same as it is coaching everywhere else you have the Nike base uh, that you don't I mean you you're a Nike or you're not even a Nike school anymore but you don't have Phil Knight to to kind of sign checks off on everything you do um so we'll see it's it might take a little bit but i'm i'm definitely for it i think it's it's ultimately good for the conference and and uh everyone benefits it's it's the same thing with leech i mean you know the paul wolf days as fun as it was to to kind of you know laugh and haha at at the uh the wazoo program it's much better for everybody if if they are um the threat to win the, their game every weekend and or every every saturday i, I think the biggest uh the biggest negative for the from a, a UW standpoint will be seen in the recruiting spheres uh, in regards to UCLA just because um, you know as great uh, as Nike has been to the University of Oregon and, and as much of a recruiting factor that is um, let's be honest it definitely is um, it LA, LA, UCLA, and just Los Angeles in general is a whole nother monster when it comes to recruiting just because that is the most talent-ridden uh, area on the West Coast. And uh, in recent years, UW has gone head-to-head with UCLA more so than any other school in the Pac-12 for uh, recruits from out of California. Moore um, did a pretty good job on that front, although we spoke about it in several podcasts ago that he wasn't really able to do much with that talent. Right. Um, Chip Kelly is proven in the on the college level, um, and he can probably recruit slightly better than he could at Oregon in this new position. So um, that's something that we need to watch out for immediately. And I think this the first day he was hired, he was already in home with a five star recruit. I think I saw on Twitter. So it's already beginning. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Kelly when he was at Oregon was looking for a certain type of guy, and so you can kind of drop your standards a little bit because you're looking to fit a system and and you know it felt like more was more looking for how how many how many five stars can I stack and and you know Chip Kelly now that he he can kind of choose to to access those guys um is is a little bit a little bit scary I saw I heard the comparison today uh, with him and, and Pete Carroll who kind of had also a, a similar career before uh, arriving at USC and that's where he really started to dominate after some some flameouts in the NFL similar to Kelly so uh, we'll see if it, if it's kind of one of those or if it's you know once 
once he kind of got exposed a little bit, it's just a complete downturn. So uh, definitely some intrigue there. Definitely, as we said, a, a net positive for the conference. Uh, but you're here to talk about a guy who is uh, a net negative for the conference, we've decided. Uh, he also happens to be the commissioner of the conference. That is one Mr. Larry Scott. What what, what did Larry Scott do now? Because it seems to be that type of season where it's just a litany of mistakes on his part. Yeah, this has just been an embarrassing season for the conference, I think, um, on many different levels. And I think you have to look no further than the commissioner, who, you know, is calling the shots in this case. Larry Scott was hired, I believe, in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. And in 2011, um, late 2011, he was able to come to a TV agreement uh, with ESPN, Fox, and NBC uh, to begin showing uh, the the Pac-12 football games from the 2012 season through the 2024 season. Uh, I believe it increased revenue um, for the conference as a whole each season from slightly under 60 million to about 250 million, which yielded an uh, average of 21 million dollars uh, for each school um, per year. So that's great. I mean, I get it. Money is kind of king in in this case. But at the same time, there's been a lot of uh, negative side effects that have been seen that is that have been extra apparent as of late, um, especially for at least the Huskies, um, and that would be uh, kickoff time. And we've talked about it a bit earlier, but I thought I'd take it upon myself to actually get down into the details. So I uh, you dove deep. Channeled. I, I really dove deep here, and I channeled my uh, Excel uh, skills and averaged out every start time, every kickoff time since the 2012 season till now in a fun little spreadsheet. And uh, the findings are kind of interesting. So I'll just kind of pick some some uh, specific points from this spreadsheet. But I was able to, to determine that the average kickoff time for the Huskies this season was 5.57 p.m., which is uh, quite an increase, or much later than the average last season, which was 3.45 p.m. Also known um, as bedtime Eastern. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Um, over the years, our kickoff time starting 2012 has been roughly 4.30 to 4.45 in the first two seasons, then dipping down to 3.30, 3.56, 3.45, then all the way up to 5.57 this year. Um, the biggest difference was looking at kickoff times before 5 p.m. How many games did we kick off before 5 p.m.? Um, we had one of those out of 12 games this season, which is just absurd in my opinion, as opposed to eight games that kicked off before 5 p.m. Pacific time last season. And that was basically eight, five to eight games was standard across uh, 2012 to 2016. So that has obviously been the biggest pain point this year for fans, uh, both uh, watching on TV like yourself on the East Coast or uh, having to make it to the stadium and be in the stadium late and get home late, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's one that's one issue that I uncovered or point that I saw in this little exercise. But it's funny. I was watching an interview that you sent me from the Cal game of Larry Scott at halftime, and he was like, oh, well, you know, you know, like talking about exposure, you know, oh, Marcus Mariota was able to win a Heisman during this, you know, TV deal. So I went back and looked at all the start times during Marcus Mariota's 2014 campaign. Um, and I can tell you that, you know, uh, Larry Scott is full of, you know, full of, you know what, because 
as I count it, one, two, three, four, five of their 12 games started before 5 p.m. Um, with an average kickoff time of 4.38, a full hour and 20 minutes earlier than our uh, average kickoff time this year. So not to get a little stride, sidetracked, but uh, I thought that was just kind of funny that, you know, yeah. he could back up his, his points with accurate information. I think, I think you know, kind of off the, the numbers, which were, which were great, I mean, I, I, I was super impressed with, like, the – just kind of the the trend that this is going, and I think you know it's kind of the, the trend that all of college athletics are going, where everything's just later because everything's more about the bottom line and, and dollars. And I think that that's the problem with with Larry Scott is that he would point to the the amount of dollars that are coming in, the amount of uh, TV ratings that are going up. However, he's not really listening to the individual schools within his uh, within his domain with the Pac-12 conference. Um, it's kind of you know just a trend with with corporations in general. It's just you want to make as much money as possible. You want to continue to push that bottom line um, because that's just what you're supposed to do. However, there's got to be a fine line that you can't cross before you start to alienate your fan bases, and all of a sudden you you, you don't have a stadium left. You just have you know forty thousand people at Husky Stadium and a bunch of people watching at home on TV. Um, you know, and that's that's the problem is is he doesn't seem to be cognizant of that line or care that 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 line might be uh, kind of a glass wall, and once you push past it, um, you've gone too far. So I always go back to the to the Mark Cuban quote, uh, which was used about another, I guess, football league. Um, talking about the the NFL and how um, he's, you know he says greedy pigs get fat and then hogs get slaughtered and right now it's getting hoggy and he was referring to the NFL about three years ago and that's certainly the case with with that league um, but that's kind of what I worry about with with Scott is that there's just so much um, so much focus on how can we make more money how can we get more eyeballs to the screens um, without actually looking and, and asking that you know these twelve programs are we really benefiting from this um, you know what what do we want in our next contract negotiation. And, and I, I get that, you know, you know, making money for the conference is important and stuff, and it comes at an expense to the fans. But then, you know, what if it comes to, at an expense to the players? And if you, if you, if we have the time, I have more on this. That is just more of a common sense. Yeah, let's it. let's it doesn't make any sense. Let's give me your, your highlight, and then we'll throw the rest in the comment section on on Facebook. Okay, so basically. There's just some major common sense flaws with the scheduling in general. I'm not talking about start time, just literally what days and stuff. So I'll just run through it quick here. There's three instances where uh, teams had to face another team coming off a bye, meaning they had four, the team had 14 days to prepare for their opponent, which was Ohio or Oregon State, ASU, and then in the Apple Cup, WSU had a full two weeks to prepare. Um, on top of that... Um, UW had to face that scenario three times, um, which was more so than any other uh, team in the conference. And if you take the AP preseason top 10, UW accounted for that scenario three of the seven times out of those top 10 teams. So it just goes to show you that there, it's it's not really happening in other conferences, scenarios like that. There's also things like uh, USC has a bye before the Pac-12 title game, even though they had to go 12 straight weeks without a bye. That makes no sense. Uh, WC had to go 11 straight weeks before a bye, and that bye came uh, before the Apple Cup. Um, Cal got a bye before the Stanford game, which is their rivalry game. Mm-hmm. Colorado got a bye before Utah. That's their rivalry game. Um, plus, they've had it where um, 
a road team playing on a Saturday than is the road team on a short week on the following Friday. So you get less less amount of days to prepare, obviously, and you're the road team in both in both instances. That happened four times. All four road teams lost. Three of those road teams were ranked in the top uh, eleven in the country. So it it's kind of there's an article on, uh, by John Wilner that is basically saying you know did Pac-12 schedule themselves out of the playoff? And I don't know if you can go that far, but you can definitely make it a very you know clear yeah. argument that that might be the case. And especially so, too um, when you when you look across the college football landscape of you know look who look who Clemson and, and Alabama played last weekend. You know, you're talking about the Citadel, and you're talking about uh, Mercer. So obviously, you know, Alabama fumbled the the following weekend's Auburn, and that might be part of the the problem there is that you have you know kind of the the too easy of a cakewalk before the game. Um, however, you see conferences doing things and and, and programs doing things um, such as a uh, you know less less games in your conference schedule uh, that allows teams to do that, and then to to ultimately get to the playoff, which I think is everyone's goal, right? Yeah, I would think so. It's yeah. just it's just avoidable common sense stuff that like should never happen. I mean, I'll I'll end it with this: the number two bowl in the conference, the Alamo Bowl, and the number three bowl in the conference, the Holiday Bowl. They start at the exact same time on the exact same day, six p.m. on on December twenty eighth. That's just stuff that should never happen, you know. Like that's yeah. just common sense. So there's a lot of fixes that need to be made. Larry Scott needs to be held accountable. I don't think he'll admit to any fault uh, because he hasn't done so in in uh, in ch- opportunities that he's had in the past. So um, just honestly, a disappointing season in that regard. Hopefully, it'll get better, but I'm not banking on it at all. Yeah, uh, let's start calling him Checkbook Larry. I'm I'm, I'm in on Checkbook Larry. That's that's yeah, I like that. <laughs> That is uh, his primary and, and sole focus, it seems like, ever since he came in and, and came out gun swinging of, oh, we're going to get Texas and Oklahoma to add them to the conference, um, which would have immediately turned the conference upside down um, and, and ultimately, I think, kind of destroyed the whole idea of a Pac-12 conference in, in, or a Pac-10 conference at that point. So uh, it's been a it's kind of a weird tenure, certainly plenty of growth uh, in the conference, but um not sure we're in the best hands. Anyways, you, t- you sh- touched briefly on the bowl scenarios. UW might appear in one of those games that you mentioned mo- more than likely. Um, if, if things kind of break the way we expect them to, UW will end up in that, that Alamo Bowl game, the number two team in the conference, playing most likely Oklahoma State again, um, as we saw against or play them four years ago. Uh, which was Siler Miles' last game as a Husky. So that's the most likely scenario. However, there's a much more fun one uh, where UW ends up in a New Year's Six Bowl game, potentially in the Cotton Bowl, which could be fun. Explain to us how that might happen. How how can UW get into the Cotton Bowl? We we ha- had this marvelous scenario of how we got UW into the playoffs um, a few weeks ago that was immediately busted. So take this all with a grain of salt. Um, however, I think we have a pretty good outline of how this can happen. Yeah, so just a quick overview. The New Year's Six Bowls are um, obviously six bowl games, so 12 teams. Two two of those games are the uh, playoff semifinals. So there's currently 11 teams that are pretty much a lock already for uh, those those uh, bowl games. Clemson, Auburn, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Miami, Ohio State, Penn State are all locks. Um, the winner of the USC-Stanford game will be a lock, and the winner of the ACC, AAC title game, Memphis or UCF, will be a lock. So that leaves one spot remaining. And this all comes down to what will TCU do. Uh, TCU plays Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game this week. If they are to win, they'll, they'll be in a New York Six Bowl by default. 
Oklahoma, having one loss currently, will drop to two losses. They're still good enough with their res- current resume to get a New Year's Six Bowl bid. So uh, what we want is we want TCU to lose. Preferably, Oklahoma beat them by beats them by a significant margin just to make it, you know, without a without a doubt. TCU would have three losses on the season. Um, I believe their losses would be to Oklahoma twice and Iowa State, both obviously all ranked opponents, so that's not great for us, but still three losses. Uh, on the other hand, they would only have one ranked win at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State, who's ranked 19th. On the other hand, our resume, we have a ranked win against uh, WC, who's 18th, and Fresno State, who's 25th as of yesterday's uh-huh. or Tuesday's rankings. So that's a nice little... Uh, little uh topping for for our resume something i wasn't expected so the big game like i said that you're going to want to be focusing on if you want the huskies to make it into the new year a new year six bowl in this case probably the cotton bowl against i think penn state you're going to want tc to lose to oklahoma and you're going to want them to lose by a considerable amount yeah i i, I agree wholeheartedly on that uh, nice job thinking that through there's some other things that are that are slightly less important i think that's the that's the linchpin game is oklahoma really taking it to tcu um the team that uw is looking up directly at the standings right now um but another one that's important, obviously USC beating Stanford. Um, Stanford would have no no case coming into the the, the New Year's Six with four losses. However, uh, a two loss USC team would probably or a three loss USC team would probably still be in the in the playoff hunt or in the the New Year's Six hunt as well. Um, yeah, it would be a toss up, but it would be close. Yeah, I wouldn't want to play with sure. that one. Um, so USC taking yeah. care of business yeah. on Friday night. Another one. Do you think if Clemson bounces? Miami and Miami is sitting there now with two losses uh, in a row. Would they still make the New Year's Six um, in that scenario? I I think so, just because they've been in the conversation for so long. I mean, um, that that loss at Pitt is not great. I get it, um, but other than that, they do have uh, some big wins over Notre Dame, obviously forty-one to eight, and over Virginia Tech. Uh, 28 to 10. Um, I don't even know if Virginia Tech is still ranked. Yeah, they're 22nd. So, I mean, those are still quality wins. Notre Dame is 15th. Um, so I think their resume still beats us out, uh, and they would get in regardless. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell uh, with this committee. I mean, they can just really do anything at this point. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, I, I think – uh, my, like you said, Miami kind of was the darling of the of the season, and and you know at the end of the day, when you have that that darling status plus the resume that they do, it's you know two, their two losses aren't as bad as as maybe our two losses are. So if if they if the second loss comes to Clemson and it's a close game, so it's hard to say. Um, but I think you know that that TCU game is important. The last one though is is we want uh, we want the Bulldogs of Fresno State to take care of business against Boise State and win the uh, win the Mountain West because that would be you know increase the quality of that win. Definitely, and this one's kind of a weird one because Fresno State and Boise State played last weekend in the final game of uh, their regular seasons, and uh, it was in Fresno, and Fresno was actually able to top the Broncos by 11 points. Now the conference title game is hosted by the number one seed in the Mountain West, and that is Boise State. So uh, it will be on the blue turf in Boise, and oddly enough, Boise State is favored by 9 or 10 points. So even after coming off a double-digit loss just uh, a week ago, they're favored by almost double digits in this one. And and 
to be to be clear that Boise State Field is or that Boise State Stadium is your least favorite in all of college football, correct? Uh, I wouldn't say all of college football, but all of the away stadiums I've been to, it's easily the worst that I've been to. Yeah. Uh, I I would ask you to to go visit Rutgers. It is. Um, it, it's, that's that's probably a fair point. Yeah, uh, it's on bleachers though. I was literally on bleachers that you would see out of youth sports field, and I'll I'll uh, ra- I'll I'll match you with the ble- the bleachers. We had that going on at Rutgers, but did you have uh, bumping house music coming through this, the loudspeakers basically the entire game? I did not. That's a very Jersey thing. I feel like super Jersey. Although, although that game, they had a hot tub in the stadium in stance did they not they, that is correct and they also had uh had boats in the corners of the of the field that you could you could win the the like the upgraded seats and that puts you in the boat so that you could watch watch a literal boat a literal speedboat um probably shipped okay. in from hey, that's got to be worth something come on yeah it was it was quite an experience um <laughs> uh, anything to get the scarlet knife fans out to the game yeah and stay at the game and not go immediately to the bars as soon as they get there and realize this isn't that much fun um but yeah so so <laughs> way off topic there it's it's late on the east coast so i apologize for for the absolute derailing here um sorry for those of you that are still with us but uh i think we're in a good place i think honestly if that that tcu happens i think uh, one thing that happened last year was USC benefited from not playing in a, in a conference championship. They came off a, of a big big end to their season. They were hot, and therefore by not playing in a conference championship and not having the, uh, you know, the kind of you know, recency bias of, oh, they didn't look so good or something like that, like Colorado did in the Pac-12 championship game last year, actually ended up benefiting them. That got them into the game against, against Penn State. Um, I think UW could could have a similar scenario where you know people are going to finally take a look at UW's resume on the whole. They're going to look at some of their statistical elements of wow, that you know a pretty good margin of victory when they you know they, they really just had two bad games, uh, maybe two and a half. If you talk about Utah, um, and then they'll, they'll they'll kind of compare it against against you know that t- TCU scenario who who in our you know our dream world had just taken a a rather nasty loss to oklahoma so uh we'll see we'll see it's gonna be an interesting selection sunday um that, that's what it is right sunday we find out I, I think so and i before before we wrap this up i just want to um i just want to let it be known that this this weekend the saturday saturday's games is one of the best slates of college football i've seen in quite some time so if you're not doing anything on saturday and I uh, want to watch some great football. Please do because you're probably you're seeing for sure three play-in games, the college football playoff most likely: Georgia, Auburn, Miami, Clemson, and Ohio State, Wisconsin. Uh, you could maybe say Miami won't make it if they win, but there's still a shot, especially if they were to beat Clemson. That's a huge win. And you could argue that you know TCU, Oklahoma has some implications too, more so than Oklahoma than TCU. But wow, what a what an absolute collection of games! Yeah, and so I'll be getting some North Lake Tavern pizzas and going to our buddy's house to watch that all day. Beautiful. Um, yeah, and even in that TCU Oklahoma game, at, at the very worst, you probably have uh, your your Heisman and uh, the best. You know, grabber of his junk in the entire college football world in Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a rooting interest for the Huskies. So there we go. Yeah. Lots, lots to stay tuned for, folks. Um, thank you f- so much for coming on, Stan. It was good ch- chatting with you about uh, you know all the goings on. Uh, another successful Apple Cup, and uh, we'll just have to stay tuned about this whole bowl scenario.
Beautiful. Have fun watching the game Saturday. There we go. Heading from Montlake to Corvallis here as I'll bring in Jordan and Caleb to talk about the former offensive coordinator of the Washington Huskies and the new head coach of the Oregon State Beavers, who just happen to be the same person now. Welcome to a very orange, very awesome edition of the podcast today. Uh, I'm here to discuss some breaking news down in Corvegas, which is the hiring of Jonathan Smith, former UW offensive coordinator, now the uh, the current head coach down there in Beaverland. Um, here to join me is is my two favorite Beavs, Caleb Clearman, Jordan Coots. Uh, gentlemen, just give me like your first reaction when you when you heard about the Jonathan Smith news. Uh, not pissed. I'll say that. Um, I thought it was a really good hire. There were a couple of other names floating around, and I didn't think he was going to be the one. But when I heard it was him, I was I was happy about it. Uh, first of all, great little orange awesome shout out there. I really yeah, appreciate nice. that. Thank you. Uh, and my first reaction was thank god it's not mike riley <laughs> yeah i mean it's not chipotle <laughs> I, I actually thought that was in play for a little bit and it's like weirdly kind of sounding like it might be which i don't really understand what you you haven't read this no apparently jonathan smith said he would be like open to the possibility of having mike riley on his staff yeah and dennis oh, erickson I, mean, I would yeah I mean, I would kind of be okay with that. I There was a scenario where they were talking to Dennis Erickson about having him coach for three to four years with Jonathan Smith as a coach in waiting, which I yeah. thought was so strange. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's just some, some cracked out, like, Safeway parking lot in Corvallis rumors that are that are steaming out there. And there are rumors. <laughs> there. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think with – with Oregon State, it wasn't as much about, like, who's the top guy. It's not like you're talking about, you know, Kevin Sumlin and these big names that are out there. It was more like, what's the worst-case scenario and how do we avoid that? And I think you avoided Dennis Erickson, you avoided Mike Riley. Um, so that's about as good as you could ask for. Yeah, I think, this I think he's just better so solid. <laughs> Arizona State, yeah, that, that's so weird. The whole, the whole thing that's going on down there, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but... For for so obviously the coach was necessary. Getting getting Jonathan Smith is a is an upgrade. Everyone's you know pretty pretty happy about it. He's a he's a hometown boy. Um, that certainly helps. We'll get into that. But just give us like a first person story about just the sad state of affairs of Beaver football over the last couple of years. Caleb, you start us off here, man. Yeah, I've got two stories, um, and Jordan was actually there for both of these. Uh, Perfect. The first one was game one of the 2014 season. We were home against Portland State, and uh, I, I like full-on laid out Benny the Beaver in the student section. Jordan, can you confirm these rumors? L- laid out fell. Like, fell <laughs> What's the difference, was... really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did Benny the Beaver end up on his ass or not? But, but and I was on top of it. <laughs> That's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then my, my second story is from later that year when we played Oregon in the Civil War. That was the year Mariota won the Heisman. And we were all at our house like debating if we were going to go to the game or not. And 
at the end of the first quarter, it was nine to zero. So we mobilized the troops and started heading to Greaser. And Brandon, you'd been to that house. Like it wasn't too far from the stadium where mm-hmm. we lived. And by the time we got like halfway there, I think I looked at what the score was, and it was thirty to zero. And we just turned around and walked back home. I think I still went. <laughs> I think I might have been there. Well, I didn't go. I know that. Yeah. I think I, I was, like, trying to get you guys to go, and Nate and I just moved out on our own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that happened on more than a few occasions, but that's all yeah. right. What about, what about you, Jordan? Yeah. What was your uh, what was your instance? Man, well. I think your ca- your cameo on Fox Sports has, has to be up there. Oh, gosh. What's terrible about that is I'm so stoked in that video, and you look at the score, and it's what the second quarter, and UW's winning thirty-four to zero. Like, yeah. So, so <laughs> it 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 became this annual occurrence, like through college, of UW going or semi-annual because you go every other year. Going to Oregon yeah. State and then putting up like six hundred rushing yards. That was that yes. was like what would happen. <laughs> Absurd amount of rushing yards every yeah, year. Exactly. And and it happened one year and Jordan happened to be there and I was watching the game on my phone and because that's just how it works in the East Coast and no one has Pac twelve network, so that's that's how you do things. And all of a sudden my my longtime best friend shows up on my phone screaming uh, to the camera as as Oregon State is getting their their butts handed to them. Yeah, I had to jump over a lot of UW fans. They were the only people picture. left. That was, huh? They were the only people left. Yeah, I I had to I squeezed my way in there because I was so sick and tired of these UW fans being the only ones the camera was focusing on, and so I just blew it up and tried to make a scene. I did. I'm sure you Jordan could you could have applied for some job in the athletic department after that, like <laughs> hype guy. Dude, that all right? I got to tell this story. So uh, last year at the Civil War game, uh, we're we're having a good time because we're we're in it against Oregon, and I am irate at Oregon's band because they are playing during are uh like when when we're snapping the ball their band is playing songs and it's not a rule like you just don't do that and i was so mad i got up out of my seat and my dad my girlfriend my sister were all like no don't like don't do anything stupid i run over to the organ band and i just start screaming at the conductor and this dude started or he let me sit in this in his seat next to him and I'm taking partial credit for that win last year because they stopped doing it, and uh, that's when we when we scored and took the lead. That's I had no idea. So you you were yeah. the like temporary conductor of the Oregon Ducks band. Yes, <laughs> you should have seen these band members' faces. They were scared shitless. You should have seen your girlfriend's face. <laughs> she was pretty mad. <laughs> She's used to it. That's like, yeah. that's par for the course. Whether it's sitting in a band chair or some golf cart somewhere, it's just bound to happen. But uh, what about like the quality of the football? I mean, obviously, like we all had fun, and and it's much more fun, much easier to have fun at terrible football games, I think, than than good football games because there's no one there. It's kind of like being in an empty amusement park, but. 
What about like the the quality of football? By the end of it, like the whole Garrettson situation was just a nightmare. I mean, you y'all didn't have a quarterback yeah. for a good three or four years. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, what was crazy this year is the expectations were bowl game. I would say like six and six. That's what I was kind of thinking. Maybe seven and five. The way we looked towards the end of last year, and then the news of. Jake Luton performing well at QB. I was like, man, we might have something here. And it was obviously terrible. So, yeah, I mean, the quality of the football was was just so bad. Uh, the, the quarterback situation has been a problem the last few years. But in my eyes, the bigger issue has been defense. And when you look at the successful teams in the Pac-12 recently, they've all had defenses. Like, yeah... The Pac-12 has a bunch of, you know, high-profile offenses and, you know, that's flashy and fun to look at. But the teams that are always good in the Pac-12, North especially, Stanford, UW, Wazoo, the last couple of years, they've all had really good defenses. And Oregon State has not had a good defense since 2012, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the, what, the Jordan Poyer year um, when that team started off 7-0, 8-0, and, and you had... Yeah, yeah and then you're making... Lost it. Washington. Make plays, yeah. I mean, it, it the uh, the skill just wasn't there, and I mean that's that's to be expected. You're not going to be the most talented team in the conference just based off of where on on in the continent you are. However, yeah. you you have to have some. You have to have a few ringers that can that can you know compete within the conference, and you know in the Mike Riley heyday, and and uh, you know in the previous administration, you had guys. You know the the Marcus Wheatons the uh, the Brandon Cooks, who could put you on that level just in terms of talent because of their sheer ability, but there was there was nobody on these last couple of rosters that that were even close to that level. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I thought there were going to be a few playmakers, especially on defense this year, and uh, they turned out to a either get injured or b just flat out not perform. And I think the most disappointing from my perspective is that this is a program that that produced names like Sammy Strotter. Uh, you know, Jaquiz Rogers, Brandon Cooks, and Storm Woods. I'm talking like not even the talent, just their their literal names are awesome. And <laughs> this this team had nothing. There was there was no fun wacky beaver names on Bright this one. O- Bright Ogwegbu. Not moving the needle for me. Yeah, he didn't do much this year though. No, he didn't. He was hurt a lot. Yeah, that, that's like one. You have to have a program to know that that guy's even on the team. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So th- yeah, that that's my barometer. It's just w- once those types of names start showing up at Corvallis again, then I then I know that that y'all are back. Uh, as far as I know, the best thing about the Oregon State football team this year was that you had some really talented singers as offensive linemen or defensive linemen. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, not not a good state of affairs. Uh, they were lovely, but but um, not what you want as your like highlight segment on on the Pac-12 networks. Anyways, so Jonathan Smith is leaving UW. Got to be honest with you, I'm I'm not that sad about it, but I think I'm going to be. I think he was uh, he he got a, a not as much credit as he deserved, and he got off to a rocky start. But I think a lot of people forget that UW was his first offensive coordinator job, and the, the, the cabinet that he had when he first got there in terms of quarterbacks and skill positions 
wasn't quite um, wasn't quite full. So he's a guy that's kind of a little bit mercurial, but he's from Oregon or he went to Oregon State. Um, he's he obviously knows that place very well. What's the benefit of having a coach come to Corvallis who knows Corvallis and know what's all knows what it's all about? Uh, personally, I think it's one of the most important things for the program. Um, Corvallis is a very unique town in that basically Corvallis and Pullman are really, really the only college towns in the Pac-12. Um, I mean, Eugene kind of is, but it's, again, the third or fourth biggest city in the state of Oregon. Eugene's a cemetery, and, let's be honest. Yeah, they well, they also have the you know recruiting power with Nike and the, the new buildings. So bringing Smith in, who's a guy that knows the program and knows what it takes to get kids to go there I think it's super important yeah yeah no I think I think it's huge because I mean obviously I think the the biggest thing at the college level is recruiting we can all say that and if you don't have passion or pride for the place that you're working and trying to get kids to um, you know believe in then you're not going to get these kids to go there and um yeah, I think, I think that'll definitely help. Competing with cities like Seattle and competing with Nike and Stanford. Yep. Right. Cal, there's a whole lot. There's not many kids that are coming to Corvallis and they're like, holy cow, like what a really cool town this is. Like it's a college town. Yep. Yeah. yeah I mean, but he, he can sell it the best way he knows. He was there for five years. Like he played for four and, you know, he'll he'll be able to sell it really well, I think. Yeah, it's funny if you if you go back and like if you if you look at Jonathan Smith, he was never on the sidelines. But if you look at him in the booth, and you look at him in like a practice and stuff, and you're like, that guy was not a fiesta bowl winning quarterback in terms of just how he looks. But he he totally was. Yeah, and then and then you Google image like his his quarterback days at, at OSU, and he he was kind of swaggy. He had like a, a shooting sleeve on, and you know he's like rocking the towel off the hip. Like he, he yeah. had it going on. Um, and obviously, five you know, nine, and he could sling it like it's awesome. Yeah, no, it was, and I think I think just th- there's this kind of you know you talk about like I talked last week about how how Mike Leach at, at Wazoo is just a perfect fit because. Leach is weird. Pullman's weird. Like they just need each other. And I think I don't know. Jonathan Smith isn't as eclectic as OSU is. Um, however, I think that just knowing how it works down there and knowing, um, you know, that program's heyday was when you bring in two JUCO guys, Chad Johnson and, and TJ Hushmanzada, um, as your receivers. Like there's some realities there. That's kind of what has to happen. You got to you got to get creative in terms of the talent you're bringing in. So I think it's perfect. I, I was actually thought that initially but even hearing you guys say it just kind of validates that even more um what are you expecting though in terms of how what the on-field product is going to look like based off of i feel like you guys have watched a decent amount of UW football what were the things you liked and what are the things you disliked about the the jonathan smith offenses oh man well uh obviously uw's running game has been strong and it's hard to compare uw to like it from a talent standpoint of what you're getting at OSU, um, especially what he's going to be working with next year. Like, hate to say it, but Ryan Nall is eligible for grad transfer, and I don't know why you would stay. Um, and I don't know the the other backs that we have are, are definitely not big name guys. Um, but 
if he could bring that style that kind of sets you up at the run, hits you with the pass type style, I I would love that. Yeah, I, I think you're right on with that, Jordan, uh, especially with with Ryan and all. Uh, if he does decide to come back, that's huge right away. Right. Uh, yeah. But, but, I mean, looking forward, I mean, most of the offensive line will be back, so, you know, that's a group that he'll be able to have – you know, some, some turnover with from, you know, a standpoint of these guys have played together and know schemes and how to work together. Um, but Smith's biggest challenge is going to be finding a quarterback that yeah. not only will, will be successful, but fits his system. And you've seen that with James. Uh, I, I feel like UW's offense can get a little complacent at times and just be happy running the ball and, you know, then ask Jake to make a big throw. And sometimes he's capable of that. Sometimes Smith's going to have to find a guy that he's comfortable putting in those situations moving forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, of, from my opinion of, of Jonathan Smith, you got to get used to a lot of clapping, right? So, so this is what, what <laughs> took me a while with, uh, with with watching Smith's offenses is Siler Miles was the first quarterback in his uh, in his reign, and immediately it's all this pre pre snap clapping, which aesthetically looks like your team is about to get their ass kicked in a middle school game. Um, however, there is a, a a rhyme and a reason to it that you have to understand before you watch it because when your te- when your offense is struggling, it's going to be the thing you you point to the most as your your frustration point. So uh, the clapping is basically everyone can hear a clap i guess this is how it's been described to me no like if you if you yell something out and it's a loud stadium you're in Austin or whatever you might have trouble hearing that however if you clap i guess if you clap in Austin or you clap in any loud stadium you can hear it so it's a, it's a good way of signaling to the team um messages throughout throughout the pre-snap play so get used to the clapping and then also from from uh, like just a a football perspective, I feel like Smith got really good. He was working on it this year, at least, of of adapting personnel to the way he plays. So, so for example, um, an offensive coordinator might get like they are just a running team. But however, if they if all of their running backs were were injured, um, they would still try and be a running team, probably to the detriment of the team. This year with Smith, I felt like. You know, and and more. If you look at last year, last year's team had tons of weapons on the passing game, uh, and you saw Jake Browning's numbers last year. This year, as the, as those weapons dwindled, uh, we can adapt. We'll become more of a running team. So it wasn't always successful. I mean, you, you had two losses this year. However, I think that he's he's a really adaptive or coach and and can kind of mold to the team's strengths. Which I mean, if if I'm you guys, I gotta be. You know, my ears have to be perking up in that situation. Oh my God! Yeah, you're gonna need every tool you can get. So that's good to hear. Um, I got one for you, Brandon. Yeah. Um, how do you think Smith will help us the most on the field uh, next year? It's a good question. I think, I think with Smith, it's establishing sort of a way of doing things, and he, you know, all the stuff that you've seen in terms of like play, like I just mentioned. That first team with with Siler Miles and Dwayne Washington really struggled on offense, but there wasn't a lot of talent there. 
So we kind of had to figure things out. It was a screen game team, really short passing game team. Uh, and then Jake Browning gets there, and you kind of see the the next wave, and all of a sudden you're hitting guys down the you know down the field, and the passing game opens up a little bit, and therefore the running game expands as a result. Next year, Jake Browning, you know, you really actualize John Ross. He's healthy now. All of a sudden, the, the passing game even opens up even more, and you go back. So I think what what you'll do or what you'll see next year with Smith is you'll kind of get a sense of who your your playmakers are. The, the The cabinet might seem pretty bare, but as soon as he comes in, he's gonna he's gonna key on some guys. It's how Dwayne Washington be, kind of became um, a household name at UW for for just a brief period is he was the most talented guy in the field he, he fit the system and then all of a sudden he's getting reps and now he's in the nfl so um he's gonna he's take, gonna take a pretty good inventory of what they have there uh and then just kind of make a system from that so i don't think that you know you look at some of these these you know imagine if like the beavers got paul johnson it's like now we're a triple option team it's like okay but that's that's gonna take four or five years for us to get the guys to make that work I think Smith right. can make you at least on offense. I don't know about his, his you know his defensive philosophies. Uh, can make you kind of a, a legitimate offense with it like early or like you'll figure out things that work early. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, I was gonna say at the beginning of that you you mentioned he seems like the kind of guy that is about his system and, and culture, mm-hmm. and a lot of that, that comes from from. Peterson uh coach Pete has you know he's always talking about the the way UW wants to do things and you know his his system and it seems like that's kind of worn off on on Smith a little bit and I think that's like exactly what Oregon State needs you know the last years they haven't really had like a a system or a culture that has worked and I, I know like the athletic department has invested a lot of money Recently, you know, they just redid a lot of the the stadium and football facilities, and they're trying to create a culture. And I think Smith will be kind of, I think they're entrusting him to be the guy that creates that culture going forward. Yeah, I, I think too. One of the first things, if you if kind of with that Peterson similarity, is you know that Sark had left some some pretty talented pieces on that team you know you had Marcus you look in the NFL right now Marcus Peters is is killing it um you know and Casey Williams we all know that that story was at least on the roster neither of those guys yeah exactly well I mean just these two pieces neither of them ended up doing a whole lot for uh for Peterson at UW just because it didn't work like it's like you're a super talented kid uh but I'm not here to to win a couple extra games and I can keep you around and and you and I aren't going to see it eye to eye uh more with Peters I'm talking about now uh it's more it's more like you know I, I feel like I have a long leash here I'm not worried about you know what I what I can do to keep my job I'm going to to build something here so I think that's another thing too is uh, you know, guys, you might expect as like, okay, that that's the guy that's gonna lead the team in catches or, or you know yards next year. I don't know if you can necessarily think of those things because he might have a completely different idea for for you know the types of, of kids that are gonna be in his program. Right. Yeah, if, I like that. if he's following the Peterson mold, but I assume that he is. Because why yeah. wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. So so. On the the UW side of things, obviously we're losing our offensive coordinator. We just talked about that. Talk me into real quick, or maybe don't talk me out of it. But I think I think Mark Helfrick is going to be end up being the guy, the the old Oregon coach as the offensive coordinator at UW. Him and Peterson are really good buddies, and um, obviously he's unemployed from a coaching perspective right now. 
Am I crazy to think that that's that's awesome, or was he kind of just a, a Chip Kelly burnout? Uh, well, I think as an offensive coordinator, I think that would be nice. As a head coach, I don't think it worked out well, but as a coordinator, I think he could be great. So, yeah, man, you guys can put up some points. There's no doubt. Yeah, I I always kind of felt that he got a little short end of the stick situation. I mean, he was just like it was handed the best player in college football with Mariota. And then once that guy leaves, it was like, well, yeah, of course you're going to have a couple down years. And I think the Oregon fans were just expecting to always be good. Yeah. And that wasn't really fair to help Rich. But, I mean, yeah, you saw the success he had as an offensive coordinator and when he had a really good quarterback. So I think if you're just like, hey, Mark, here's Jake Browning, potentially if he comes back, I'm assuming he's going to. But I think that could be an awesome pairing. So, so you're telling me that garbage Jake Browning is an awesome pairing with anybody? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I hey, mean, it's, Jake it's, is talented. He's there's no denying that, but I mean, he's he definitely had some struggles this year. Yeah, you know, you you came back to the middle. I knew you would on that. He's he's not he's not the best, but you know, we we have have a very nice piece there at quarterback, especially for um, an incoming coordinator. So um, yeah, I, I'm into that. I, I think if if UW ends up getting Helfrick and y'all get Jonathan Smith, I think that's that's ultimately good for the conference and something that we can all get yeah. behind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> real quick, we talked briefly. Quick thoughts on the Herman Edwards situation at Arizona State. Because I think that's just, like, the weirdest thing ever. It, yeah, I don't understand it at all. It's not official, I mean, I but think, Edwards is, is yeah. the primary guy down there at Arizona State. He has not coached in college ever and hasn't coached anything in 10 years. And he's, like, the front runner for the Arizona State job. He's been on ESPN yeah. screaming about things for the last 10 years. Yeah. I, like I don't understand why why they fired Graham in the first place. Yeah, that uh, was a little strange to me too. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, when when your your coach starts wearing wristbands and looks like uh, you know elementary school basketball player, that's that's <laughs> that's concerning, right? You can't have that for too long. Yeah, but I mean. Arizona State, I mean, they've been, they've had some good years, but they've never been like a powerhouse in the Pac-10 or 12, really. Jake Plummer, yeah. sorry if you're listening, but... <laughs> like I said, a few good years. I mean, Todd Graham took them to the, the title game. Yeah. I mean, Graham, they got smoked by Oregon, but... All right. I don't know. Yeah. Seemed, that, was a, that was a weird one to me, for sure. Short leashes everywhere. Right. Yeah. Definitely. What were you thinking, Jordan? Uh, just going back to the Herm thing, like, I it's a really weird situation, but him having so much exposure on national television, if I'm a if I'm a young kid, like, I would like to play for that guy. So I can see how it would kind of make sense and all the ties he had there. Like, I. It's it's still super weird, but I kind of can't blame them. Like you hire who you're familiar with, so yeah, that's that's true. And if you think about like you know, ask ask an 18 year old, 17 year old kid, hey, you want to come play in Tempe, Arizona, where you know 
things are kind of how they are down here, there's not going to be a lot of kids <laughs> that that would say no to that situation right. just on its head or at least be interested. And so if you can create something, I mean, kind of what J- Jim Mora just did with UCLA, he made it cool, um, you know, <laughs> We're about X's and O's later. We're trying to we're trying to build some swag here. Uh, I think right. that that Todd Graham is 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 kind of low on that that excitement factor. Where Herm, you know, I, I don't know how old Herm. I know maybe he might be like eighty years old. I have no idea. Uh, but he, <laughs> but he's a name that can get people to uh, to at least care about that program again. Yeah, well, Steve, this is a guy that never really recruited before. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, he just played to win the game. That's all he did. <laughs> that could be fun, though. I wonder what his first in-home visit would be like. That that should be on Periscope. Like, everyone should be able to see that. <laughs> I agree. It should be on NFL Live. <laughs> yeah, that's his, that's his swan song in NC, or NFL Live is, hey, Trey Wingo, I'm here with, uh, <laughs> with some 16-year-old about to teach him about the principles <laughs> of, of the 5-2 defense. Herm's just talking about his sock collection. Yeah, God. Um, who knows? Who knows? Uh, other coaching change in the conference is is UCLA going to or Chip Kelly going to UCLA? Are we scared? Are we kind of like man? How do we feel about that? Uh, I'm in, I'm indifferent. I'm absolutely terrified. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have. I think he's going to be better than Mora. Definitely, definitely. And Jim Moore's teams were like right on the cusp talent-wise pretty much his entire time there. So imagine that same talent with like schematics behind it. It's it's kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the same time, like I don't really care because it's UCLA and I could care less because we play them once, you know, every other year and they're in a completely different division. Um and they're taking the talent who a lot of those kids are going to USC or, you know, other schools down there. And I, I like they're not retracting from what we can do up here at Oregon State or UW. So, yeah, I don't think it makes that much a difference, like in the whole scheme of things. Yeah. And, and I think as we've talked about any, you know, the, the influx of talent from a coaching perspective to the conference is, is good for everybody. And I think everyone ends yeah. up winning at that point. So, um, exactly. I, I'm for it. I think, I think he's, he was ultimately better in college football and he made college football better when he was there. So why not? Yeah. I was going to say when UCLA had like a bigger name profile coach than USC did. Yeah. I mean, I had to think about who UCLA or USC's coach was. I forgot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought it was Todd Hel- Helton, but that's that's not the case. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, we can all be we can all be grateful that we're not the Tennessee Volunteers looking for coaches right now because uh, they they have like the they have the opposite of like sticky. I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. They, they cannot get anyone to come in uh, to what should be a marquee job. So. Um, Things are looking good in terms of, of the coaching tectonics within the conference. I'm happy about that. Before we get out of here, though, give me your uh, your realistic Beaver expectations for, for 2018. Oh, man, you're killing me. The last time I was this discouraged coming off a season was after my freshman year there when yeah. we lost to Sac State. Woof. And we actually ended up beating uh, both Wazoo and UW that year, but... Um, 
we went three and nine, and for the majority of the year, we didn't look good at all. Um, and then the next year, we have like sixth rank Wisconsin come in and as our first game, and we beat them. And uh, I'm not saying that's happening here, but stranger things have happened. Uh, I would be happy with two in conference wins. So <laughs> let's let's go three over under three and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. Uh, I mean, like that might be pushing it too. Step step one is going to be the defense. Yeah. And. You know, I was I was reading earlier today that uh, Jonathan Smith hasn't talked to Corey Hall yet, which to mm-hmm. me seems kind of weird. Um, Corey Hall is the the current interim coach at OSU. Yeah, yeah. Who who was the defensive backs coach before that? And it seemed like all of the players really liked him. And I was kind of under the impression that you know maybe he was going to be put in like a defensive coordinator role, but we'll see. Yeah, I hope, I hope he stays in some capacity. I don't know what, but I hope. He yeah, I I think that's that's good. It's kind of the the same, uh, the same thought process of of wanting you know some continuity with a guy like Jonathan Smith. There, it's just a guy who has had any level of success in Corvallis and wants to be there is probably a guy that you want to keep around. Um, I I think as far as how you should frame your thinking, I remember. The first year with with Chris Peterson, there was so much talent there. You had Shaq Thompson, Danny Shelton, Kikaha, just like some NFL guys that were going to get you to eight wins like they ended up getting. After they all left, there was kind of a burnout of like, okay, now we don't have a quarterback. Now, you know, we have lost all this talent. What do you have? And the expectations going into that year was like, I don't really care what the wins are. Like, if you make a bowl game, great. I don't think that's the expectation here. But you just kind of got to know who your guys are going forward. Like, who, who are the the foundations of the program where you're excited about them. They're a sophomore and, you know, can't wait to see them when they're a senior because they'll be so good. Like that, that's kind of the expectation is like qualitatively, what do you have there? Right. Yeah. No, yeah. I totally agree. Just taking steps in the right direction um, and recruiting. I'd like to see a couple splashes. That'd be nice. Splashes are good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they're made with uh, with a flat beaver tail. That's the best kind of splash. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Flat Tails has been one of my favorite jokes since I was like five years old. So, um, good good stuff, boys. Uh, Caleb, we'll save our, our how do you get into Husky Stadium when you don't have a ticket story for a later date. But um, if, that, if that is your question, direct all of your, your text to Caleb over there. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, we'll do this again. Hopefully, maybe talk a little Pac-12 basketball at some point. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, gentlemen. Special thanks to our guests this week. Our song on the front and back end here was a little jingle fittingly titled West Coast by Ryan Little. Mom, thanks for listening. See you next week.